A big welcome to episode 61 of Control the Controllables. A really exciting episode today. We've got Emilio Sanchez. Emilio, as well as being world number one doubles player and world number seven singles player, comes from a family of four kids, (laughs) which is multiple Grand Slam winners. The third best was as high as 30 in the world. The fourth best was as high as 350 in the world. So how they got into tennis, what they valued, how that journey worked. And then Emilio has gone on to set up his array of academies, starting with Sanchez Casal in Barcelona. And now they are situated in a couple of places in America and also in China. So we talk through the challenges and the systems of their academies and also the Spanish system. You know, the Spanish system is a, is a well-known system in terms of producing tennis players for many, many years. Is it outdated? Has it gone with the times? What does it really mean? What are the real values that come through from that? We explore all of that. It's a fantastic chat. Greatly appreciate Emilio coming on. I also want to take this opportunity, if you are listening to this before the end of September 2020, Emilio will be joining many, many great speakers at the Between the White Lines Summit. You'll see the details in the podcast notes. You've got your last few days to sign up so you don't miss that. So please do get involved. But for now, I'm going to pass you over to Emilio Sanchez. So Emilio Sanchez, a massive, massive welcome. Thank you for joining us on Control the Controllables. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Thank you so much. Uh, fine inside this, this, this difficult world and this, this amazing situation. But um, I can't complain. I think that, that um, we've been fighting hard against this tough rival, which has been yes. COVID. And, but we hung in there and um, I was lucky enough to, to, to know it from before because we have our China operation there. And, and in January, they called me and they, they said, uh, we're going to close the place. I said, what? Why? <laughs> we're going to close the country. I said, what do you mean you close the country? And I, I remember I went to Spain in February and I was telling the people, you have to be prepared for this. This is coming. And that's when we decided to, to convert our academy from, from presence to online because I knew that that was coming. So I started to make all the preparations. So when the, the pandemic arrived in, in Spain and then in the US a couple of weeks later, we were prepared to, to, to be able to, 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 to keep it away from, from my side. Yeah. No, it's, mm. been, it's been a crazy time. And for those listening, Emilio, I'm sure you all know Emilio and the Sanchez family, uh, an incredible, an incredible family in, in Spain, but in global tennis. Mm. Emilio was former number one in the world in doubles, number seven in singles, won 15 singles titles, 50 doubles titles, five Grand Slams, one Olympic silver, gold, silver medal, one Davis Cup win as a captain, and then in 2017 received the Philippe Chatrier Award, which is, gets awarded as the highest accolade from ITF. 
It's just an incredible career you've had. You've probably never had a year like 2020 before, <laughs> as you've touched on, Emilio. But we're going to get into lots of topics today. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. But firstly, I have to ask you, yourself, Javier, Arancha, Marissa, all of you incredible tennis players, Grand Slams galore, <laughs> top 30 in the world, number ones in the world, and even the one that didn't do as well as the other three still was 350 in the world. How did that happen in, to have ever happened with the family? Well, my, my, my father was, uh, was an, uh, an engineer and um, he, he moved from, uh, from the north of Spain, from Pamplona to, to Barcelona. And then they were looking for this club that, that, um, that they wanted to socialize and meet people. And they, they had in Pamplona this place where we were mingling around and, and playing in the weekends. And they had so many sports, this, this, this tennis club. No? So, but the, the one they found in Barcelona was a new club that was going to have so many sports. And then they signed us up. And then the, the president decided to go and took the money from the members and disappeared, went to Mexico or wherever. And then you, you play tennis or tennis. So then we started to play tennis. And um, my oldest sister, Marisa, she was the, the pioneer from the family, the first one. And then it was me. We play a couple times a week. We were also doing swimming well, and I was playing soccer in the school. So my parents wanted us to be busy with the sport after the school, but on the weekends they were spending time in the club. And that was, I think, a, a, a big, big lesson for us in, in, at the time, because, because uh, I believe a lot in doing different sports when, when you are very little, eh, because you de develop different skills. And, um, and one of the things that I take out the most from our family, which were, we, as you said, Marisa uh, was 350, but she studied in Pepperdine, she went through the college pathway, and she was one of the reasons that why I do the academies after, because seeing the college pathway with her, I say, well, this is much better than what we do here in Spain, so maybe if, if I can, I will do that, no? But then it was me, and then my brother Javier was, Number one of the world juniors, he, he, he was super good. I think he won in, in, in London. So he was a, 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 a top 30 in the world. And then Arancha, which was the little one, she was walking there with the racket when she was three, four years old. And my sister at 12, she was national champion. And at 14, she made the semis in Roland Garros. She was one of, you know, like, and, and, and then a year later, you know, like, like she wins Roland Garros. So, from that day, I, I went to be her her, bro, her brother. Since this, since that day, she passed from me, my little sister, to me being her brother. So you know that uh, that is terrible as a family <laughs> and a Latin country <laughs> traveling with a mom. You know, like like you are becoming to second stages is yeah. tough. But no, it's it's been amazing and and um, and tennis has been the the the, the center of our family and. And um, we are what we are thanks to tennis, so we are very grateful to to went through this 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 stage of in, in this stage of tennis in our lives. Very good. And, and in terms of, in ter at what age do you think you made your mind up? I want to be a professional tennis player, but not just I want, but I'm willing to do what it takes to be a professional tennis player. Well. Looking back, that is, I don't think in my case was a decision because when I, okay. I make that transition to, to at 14 to go to the federation, they, we started to train in the mornings and then we were, we were going to this night school 
and we trained nine to one, and then we went to school four to nine at night. So that was a super tough. And that's why one of the reasons why I then later on I built my, my, my academies because it was so difficult to keep the studies with the, with the high performance sport. And I think we were about 12 or 14 kids that year that we, that we make this transition. And many of them, they quit the school because they, everybody thought they, they were going to make it, but yeah. very few make it. So, so and uh, luckily, uh, after a few years was me, but, but the first couple of years, it was terrible. At 15 and a half, Federation decides to fire me because I'm little and I am fat and I, I, I cannot compete. I didn't grow. I didn't, I was a late, late grower. So that, that, so, so they decided to kick me out. Luckily I is in my club. I could, I was able to practice. And then uh, three or four months later, almost when I was 16, I grow. And when I grow and then I grow and then I, I, I grow sideways as well. So, so I pump, you, you grow and then psh, Yep. So then suddenly I start to beat the guys that I was losing all the time before. And then uh, the Federation called me back like six months later and, and, and then they, they, they offered me again the, to train. And, uh, and then from there I was super fast uh, to arrive to the top 100 in the world because at the time if you had the level, it, yep. it was not so difficult at the time to yep. pass through, the, through those stages. And, and uh, I think that that I play only two or three qualities in my from from in my time because okay. because I when I played the first tournament in in Tunis I qualify and pre quali quali and I win one round I lost to Henrik Sandstrom and then the next tournament I I pre quali quali in Italy and I make the semis and then I got a special exam I make semis I got a special exam so in four tournaments sure. I was like like sixth in the world. And I got in the in, in from from the spring to to Paris, which normally the closing of Paris is like six weeks before. So so it's in, in four tournaments I, I got enough points to get into Paris. So my right. first year as a pro, I already right. played in Paris. I was sixty. Yeah. So it was it was very fast um, yeah. arrival, and and uh, I, it's very helpful when when you go through that process and don't lose matches. Yeah, you know, yeah. they always say, how Nadal or how yeah. Federer can be so good? Yeah, because they never lost a lot of matches that they get, you know, their brain there is like still today, they, it's, it's still yeah, like yeah. intact, yeah, you yeah. know, because they, 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 they don't lose matches. Yeah, yeah. They, they normally, they, they are so used to win that, they, that they, they, everything they do is about winning. And, and, Life and, is easier. <laughs> yeah, and, but when you lose and lose, you have those memories, you know, like those situations where... Oh, uh, here we go again. <laughs> and most of us have been through that. <laughs> you know, the, you're, if you're, it sounds like you're one of the lucky ones that hasn't. But I, no, I, I, I did as well. They, when they asked me, okay, what is your best uh, matches? And then I start to think, and you know that winning, you, you, when you are a pro, you give for granted. It's normal winning. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but you only remember the bad losses, remember yeah. the bad moments. So I don't remember like, oh, I played that point incredible, made me win that. I, I, but no. the ones I lose, I can tell yeah. you yeah. the things it's I didn't do for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, losses, losses feel stronger than wins feel good. 
Yeah, it's all, yeah it, that's totally, that's totally you know, that way. <laughs> and, and, that, and that's why, and I mean, I, I say it all the time to, to players and parents, any, anything that is good, if it's a tournament, if it's a scholarship, if it's whatever it is, stop and celebrate it. Yeah. You know, have it. Yeah, because the people think they play like an under 12 or a local under 12 or a yeah. club, club event. So if you realize winning is so difficult, even in a club event, yeah. because I don't know, it's a 24 or 32 or whatever draw. And to go through those stages, you know, the person who wins is because he has some qualities yeah. in those important moments in the matches, then in the emotional and mental pillar that he managed better the way to put the ball in or to put the, you know, like the, yeah, the yeah. fight. So for me, winning is, 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 is something that, that builds up a lot of confidence. And, 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 but it's so tough, you know, like in, at any level. So, so when, when people say now, for example, they were asking, oh, the US Open now this year is not going to be so important. What do you mean? You, it's so difficult, even if the 100 players will not be there. Yeah, yeah. So to win with the 100 to 200, it will be so tough. You know, like, like, because winning is always difficult. Absolutely. And, and Emilio, everyone talks about different eras in tennis, and I'm not sure we can completely compare them. But if you did compare your time coming through, is it completely different, more difficult, similar to now? What are, what are the main differences? Well, obviously, times, times goes by, so, so things get better. So... Yeah. so um, today they got better in, 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 in first and foremost important the physical pillar today they are way much better athletes than we were yeah. before yeah. So, so the guys today they, are, they, they maximize the performance because they know very well how to recover so yeah. they recover way much better than us yeah. and they play a tough match they can, they, the next day they can perform at the same level so that, that's one thing so when in the physical pillar, you have a lot of different types of, of, of uh, capacities that, that you can develop and they develop much better and they are more powerful, faster, uh, more flexible there. So, so all those capacities makes the game much faster. And, 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 uh, and that, that is uh, some, 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 and that's a, a, a quality no? so that, the, that the guys today, they have. And then, but, and, but the physical pillar, it goes totally attached to the mental pillar, no? Yeah. And um, so they have more qualities, but before maybe physically was not, um, was not uh, so developed, but you, you go to play to Labour or to Villas or to, to Borg, you know, those guys that physically at the moment with the resources that they had, they were super athletes. Yeah, yeah. So they were super athletes, but they were also super minds. So the best players are the super minds. So what I always say about this when they ask me is that, okay, those guys, they were super athletes then, they had super minds, so they win. So today, if they were gonna live today, Borg was gonna live today, he will be a super athlete with the qualities today. And yeah. because he was a super mind, he is still be very competitive. I don't know at what level, yeah. but I'm sure that he will adapt because yeah. the, 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 best, the best players are the ones who adapt to the times. So that's why today, 20 years later, how many change of game Federer has made on his patterns, on, the, on, on his really important patterns of how to win the matches, he adapts. 
Nadal, for one moment, in 15 years ago, he was playing one way. Today, he's still working to adapt, to challenge the new guys who play faster. So yeah. I think that if Borg or, or whoever, McEnroe, they will have the capability today to play, yeah. they will adapt to the conditions today and they will still be very good because they will adapt physically, they will adapt tennis-wise, but the, 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 the biggest asset that they have is their brains, is their minds. Yeah. And that's where the people make uh, the, uh, the biggest difference, is, is, yeah. is, 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 is here. Is, this, yeah. is the, this is the key. Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of training weeks, how, how did your training week look back 30 years ago compared to how a training week would look to a top professional that's training at your academy? Well, we, we overtrain a lot, uh, especially on the court. So we, we, we train very little outside from the court and we will do some, um, some a bit of, 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 of stretching. I mean, so, so it was the years that, the, that, the, that um, we will run, we will do ups, we will do push-ups, very simple stuff. Yeah. Um, so, so we will many times overtrain on the court. We, we do a lot of repetitions on the court. And uh, today they maximize much more the time. So they have a much better, more quality training normally. Yeah. They go to the court and, 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 and they just try to maximize what, what they do. And, and, and it's always like, like they know how much better how to empty the days they empty the tank, they, they know much better how to fill it up again yep. and to be able to, 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 to go and to do the next ride with a full tank every time. Right. So they, they know better how to empty and full, empty and full. It doesn't mean that we were not um, incredible athletes. We were as well, but yeah. with, with, with other conditions and with other determination. And um, since we play a lot, and I was telling the story that uh, one year I played a tournament and training until Thursday in Kitzbühel. They play this week, Kitzbühel. This week, yeah, yeah. So this tournament, so it rained until Thursday. So we start Friday and I, and I played two singles, one doubles on Friday. Then Saturday, two singles, one doubles. And then the Sunday, best of five final, and then two doubles. And I won singles and doubles in three days. Wow. So nine, nine matches. So the, we were very well trained. We were very tough. So board was alone like a horse. Yeah. Yeah, but but, but, but um, did he arrive to maximize, maximize his potential as an athlete during his career? I think that today they will, they will he will last longer, first of all, and he will compete many more years without having X amount of, of, of issues, you know? Yeah, yeah. And that I think that in our time we were finishing at 32, 33, you were completely <laughs> burned out, no shoulder. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so today that will not happen because it's, everything yeah. is, is more statistics. So at the moment that you start to serve a bit slower, this alarms come out hey, slow slow yeah, <laughs> you yeah. have to hit harder yeah, so yeah. so it's, 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 it's different but every every moment has the magic yeah. moments and when i played i was the lucky i think i played in the golden time of tennis because we played guys from four generations play like we played together like seven eight years yeah, yeah. so that that you know like to play with connors mark and rose lendels and then my generation lendel i mean edbert becker 
Muster and then the generation after with Agassi, Sampras, and so, so yeah, Cash and Mechir. And so there were so many different Absolutely. players with so many different styles and characters that I think that that was that made you a better player because you can you didn't have to adapt only to one type of game, you had to adapt yeah. to so many different styles, yeah. and, and that asks more from you to become a better player because if not, you cannot play. Great, great answer. And, and, and in terms of then, as you've gone into being a coach and your methodologies as a coach, obviously setting that then very much as a pioneer also in Spanish tennis academies, you know, you've done a, an unbelievable job and also a very, a very set way of working. As the game adapts, how, how have you then adapted the way that you've worked as, as, as academies? Yeah. And for us, it's, it's, been, it's been a challenge initially because I, you know, like I, I stopped playing and I always had this drive to always talk about tennis and about the matches. So in some way, I was already, I, I was already getting involved in understanding uh, the, the game. And, and when you don't have big shots like me and you need to play with these guys with big shots, you need to find resources and, yeah. and, and, and things to be able to hurt them. Yeah. So like, like you play with Becker makes 25 aces, it's how you hurt him. So, and, and you don't have an ace and you don't have a, a huge forehand like him. Yeah. And you <laughs> so, and you, so you need to find ways like up, down, short, yeah. deep, move him, this and that. So you have to find ways. So that, 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 uh, that helped me a lot to be able to develop this, this mindset where I need to know what was happening. Then I, I had an in, amazing coach that, that he always was motivating me to be able to become better players. So it was not like, okay, you arrive there, you maximize your potential. No, you, you need to be keeping this mindset of keep learning and coming out from the comfort zone and improving and play on hardcourts and I play on grass. And you know, for grass, for us, for the Spanish at the time, come on. <laughs> So, but you need to be competitive there. Yeah. So, so, and you need to, 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 to express yourself, you know? So, so that the mindset of always improving was, I think, very important. Um, because even as a person today, that way of doing with the tennis is still today also um, trying to always become better and, and, and keep improving, no? So I go to a, to a symposium and I always listen to the people. And say, why are you going to listen to that guy? You, say, you, you always can learn from anybody. You know, Absolutely. maybe they explain the same thing, but they explain it in a way that, wow, this can be, he explained it better than me. So, so you can keep learning. So, so when we started the academies, we started to use a, um, all, the, all the tools and all the system that we were using as players. Yeah. So, but as you said, the tennis has been evolving. So we need to also to keep evolving. The basic is the same because we still use um, the 30-30-30, which is 30% drills, 30% controls, and 30% match play games, whatever it is. No? Yeah. So on the, on the drills, we, we develop already like eight or nine change of exercises. In the past, we were doing only one. So, yeah. so it was a chain of exercises that will make you um, receive and, and then in, get involved on the situation and, and, and try to break, make breaks, make breaks to the opponent. 
So that 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 um, that chain was the famous Spanish chain with the with the X movement and with the double rhythm and yeah. going no. But slowly we adapt our system for players who are more defensive that that uh, they are more like Andy who train with us, more counter-attackers. And then other ones that they are more aggressive, other ones that they go more to the net. Uh, we develop uh, uh, Dimitrov, or do we develop uh, Ramkumar uh, Ramanathan? So, so he's a Serban player, but then when he returns, he's far back, like more far than Nadal. So, you know, like you need to adapt your system of training uh, to be able to, 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 to serve everybody. And that's the magic, because people think, okay, if you train that way, the player is going to play that way. No, 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 no. The system has to cover, for me, it has to cover all the pyramids. So you take a player when he's very young, you have to develop the technical pillar, the tactical pillar, it starts to compete, the physical pillar, and then the mental. So it goes from the bottom up, you know. You take another player in the middle of the, of the pyramid, and then you need to find a way to, to, to analyze that player and, and create those patterns and those situations where the player becomes the best that, 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 that he can become. Yeah. And, and, and for that, you, it's very important in academy to use a system like this. Everybody knows and does the same thing, okay? But uh, every player is, 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 is a different story. So it's like, it's, like a, it's like if going to the tailor. So you can have the, 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 the dress already half done, but you and me, we are different. We, you will have to be specific and, and measure in a way that, that fits you perfect. So yeah. coaching is, is the same. You need to, the coach needs to, needs to adapt to every player, especially yeah. in high performance, because there is not player, not two players the same. Yeah. And even if you use the system, you, are, you have to be capable of coaching a player that is defensive, a counter-attacking, an aggressive player, that, yeah. and they all can be developed. Because yeah. if you only do it one way, yeah. you're going to lose many players on the way because they, they cannot adapt to that. So your yeah. system cannot be more important than the, yeah. like, like the personal um, tailor that you need to make for one player, you know? Yeah. And how, how important, in your opinion, is the methodology and the drills in, in producing world-class tennis players? Well, if you do the things properly and well, yeah. Um, the the drilling is for me is really good because tennis is 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 a sport of habits. Yeah. So so that's why you need so many repetitions. You don't need yeah. so many repetitions because you need to hit harder. Yeah. You need so many repetitions because you need to create the pathways in your brain. Yeah. And the pathway is the same way independently of how high or how fast or how low is the ball. You need to create the, 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 the shot that you don't think that you put the ball where you want. So, so the drills are really good because I always say do drills that you don't write well, you're going against your training. Because if, you, if we play controls and you hit harder, I'm not going to be able to write well because I will have to adapt to your ball. But the drills are really good and you write very well on your brain, on your, on your, on your memory, because you do it perfect. So when yeah. you do things perfect, you write better. Yeah. Of course, there have been players who they become amazing and they never done one drill. Yeah. And players who they've been amazing and never done one control and they just play maybe points. Yeah. But 
but because they have the, that that quality and they have that thing that if they develop the physical and the mental pillar they're already very good but when you take 100 players that you have maybe two that are they don't need such a specific system to to develop themselves yeah yeah but the other 98 and you have maybe 60 that they need that and maybe 30 that they will not make it yep. because they will even with drills controls or whatever you make them it's going to be very difficult that they find those skills because the tough part with tennis is that you cannot have a weakness in anywhere yep. you can you, i never seen a pro that don't know how to hit the backhand or or don't know how to hit they know how to hit everything yep. because you cannot have one one area that you are weak because then you will not be a good player yeah, absolutely. Because everybody will find you that weakness. So the, 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 the weakness from the top players, they are super high rated. So, so let's say, like, let's look for a player, I don't know, like, let's say top player, like Andy. Let's say Andy, yeah. okay. Andy is, is, is being number one, he's being uh, Olympic. Maybe what he can improve Andy. So the backhand is, is like a glove, it's amazing. Yep. So let's say, okay, the forehand sometimes when he's a bit sloppy and then he lets the ball drop Stops, and so, yep. but his forehand is probably top 10 in the world. Yeah. So it's not maybe like the one from Federer or like the Nadal, but, he, but when he takes it here and he goes in, he's yep. unbelievable good anyway. So, mm. so the, the, the weaknesses of the top players, they are very, very, very they, 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 they are very close to perfection. Yeah. So and what happens? So if Ivo Karlovic, age 16, comes to your academy, hmm. how does he fit into the system? Well, first of all, if we analyze Ivo Karlovic with his serve, and, 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 um, and uh, he wins 94% of the games yeah, that he yeah. serves. So, um, and he's two meters, whatever, tall, yeah. and, and, but he breaks less than 10%, yeah. we'll have to analyze why he breaks only less than 10%. Yeah. And players like him, like super tall, like maybe it's Berev or Isner, so break much more yeah. than him yeah. with the same type of serving force, maybe. Yeah. No? Yeah. So you say, okay, how much we can, you have to analyze forehand, okay, forehand, defense, offense, backhand, defense, offense, how he gets from defense, offense to the net. So you have to analyze and, and, and try to find where in, that, in those areas where he don't feel so confident as with the serve, he can improve. And he moves up decently as well. But, you know, he has a, a way of playing that when he plays from the back, he just uh, don't have enough weight to hurt the other ones. Yep. So will he be willing to use more the legs to get more weight on his game? I don't know him, so will yeah. he be willing to take the ball a bit higher and more in front? Will mm -hmm. he be willing to step instead of waiting for the balls, step more on the ball? Will he be willing instead of using the slice more like a defense, more like an offense? So, yeah. you know, like, you, it's very small details that could make him maybe go from 20 yeah. to 15. Yeah. And, and then to 10 if he wins yeah. some of the big matches that he lost. Yeah. And will he be willing to to make the effort mentally to be able to, to that, make that jump and come out from the comfort zone. And like Nadal, when he was from number one to number four, 
and then he 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 changed completely from stepping on the only on the back foot, and now every ten forehands he plays fast on the front foot. If did Karlovic did that? Yeah. yeah. So you. If he had the right coach, will he be able to say, okay, I make, being 20 in the world, I make whatever, 700,000. Do I want to make the effort maybe to go down a bit and lose some matches to be able to maybe more after make 2 million? Yeah. So there, there is, we have to analyze the technical, the tactical, the physical, especially, and then the mental to see, because there are <coughs> some minds that they are not, they, they are okay with where they are. Yeah. Not like they they, they, yeah, they yeah. cannot make that step. So many times is is a player going up and then going down. That's why the coaches when 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 they find when when a player is going down and finds a player that can make them do that transition towards win again. Yeah. And then is 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 they have like a second career. Yeah. But only the, the the most gifted ones arrive to do that. You know. And how important do you think a coach is in a player's journey? So let's take, let's take Andy. Let's take Andy. And I've known Andy since he was 11 or 12. Is, if Andy has the wrong coach, does that stop him from being a top 10 player in the world? Is, is it the, how much is the coach influencing that, do you think, in your mind? Well, I think that... that um... In some players that they are willing to 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 invest and make the effort, I think it's, it's the coach it can really make a difference. And in Andy, I think that he he made the effort to come to Barcelona when he was 14. He stayed the years that he stayed there. Then, as soon as he started to play with the pros, he started to be competitive. He made the move, and then he hired I don't remember first Peche and then Gilbert. And then Correcha, uh, and then I don't know. He had so he he was trying always to look the person that will have the that he will he will um, connect to be able to to arrive to 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 where he, with his normal game was not was not arriving. And then he found Ivan, and I think with Ivan he arrived to excel the type of game that he had. Mm. And that's why he become number one, and so because yeah. he 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 really step up, eh? because the the difference is so small that with the same game, eh? for example, when Andy was before that, it was maybe four three in the wall, and then he will be very competitive, but he will not challenge the big ones on the big matches. When he was with Lendl, he did why. Only because he was stepping a bit more in, he was turning a, a bit more around in the forehand. So the forehand make the opening, and then with the backhand he will meet the. So it's very small details to play the ball here or to play the ball here. It's just yeah. half meter, but yeah. in those guys it's huge. Absolutely. You know, but how you convince uh, someone like Andy, which is like this book here on my in my table <laughs> eh, on his brains, like how you convince him? At three in the wall or, or four yeah. in the wall to play here yeah. to here. Yeah. So so the player has to be willing to do it and, and it has to you have to have it happened to me when I quit playing. I coach Arancha and, 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 and she was she, 10 years in the top three and then suddenly she was 15 in the world. So I and I was thinking, come on, 
why he wants to do this because now she's really gonna have to work double or more because she she has this mindset where she lost the mind of the winner she had suddenly she had the mind of a loser so every important point she'll play in a match she played wrong so how you convince her again to to go there and how she accepts that with being number one and being there because at the end they have to be willing to listen and, yeah. and, and to be able to make that, that transition. So, yeah. and, um, and so a coach really can make a huge difference. And how was it for you? Yeah, but, uh, let, let me tell you, look yes. Osaka. Osaka has this, yeah. this coach. She wins US Open and Australia uh, in 18 and in, in early 19. And then uh, their agents and the people around us. Okay. So he had a contract and then these guys, is, uh, the guy was making too much money. So they get rid of the coach. And for almost two years, eh, almost two years, the girl, she didn't have that order with the coach until now that she's starting yeah. now to, after COVID, probably she found another coach that yeah. went back to basics and then started to rework the brain again to be able to compete in the right moments. And now she's looking sharp again. But look, a number one in the world, for a year and a half, almost didn't beat a one top ten. Yeah, yeah. So, so, and I don't know because I don't know her. I don't know if the problem was physical, mental, emotional. Eh, I don't know, eh, spiritual, belly, for whatever it was. Yeah. But, but, changing some things in some moments, it can really, it yeah. can really put a player with a small difference from winning to not winning. Yeah. Uh, but still plays because the, 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 those players still play. And, 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 and I cannot talk to a, about what Andy feels when he was with Lendl or what he feels later on when he was with Moresmo. Or, and I think Delgado has been amazing for Andy because he kept this, this um, fire on him about continue being a, a, a player, continue being an athlete. Mm-hmm. And through the difficulties that Andy has gone through, yeah. that have someone that keep that motivation and that fire. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure that, I don't know Delgado well, but I'm sure that he's done an amazing yeah. job because yeah. it's very discouraging what Andy has yeah. going through, has yeah. had going through and yeah. the guy stayed there for how long now? Three years. It's incredible. Yeah. Incredible. And he's been, and I think it's all, it's having the coach at the right time, which is exactly what you've said. And Jamie, Jamie's been in the hospital with him. He's waited in Australia for 10 days until he has his operation. He's, he's there at the end of the phone probably to get shouted at. You know, he's, been, he's there to, you know, pick him up. He's, he, he, and that's, I could, a Lendl wouldn't have been in that position to do that. Whereas when he needed Lendl, and my, my take on that, at that moment, Andy needed someone that felt they didn't need to be listened to. And, and what I mean by that is Lendl very clearly came in and had some power, which I think yeah. sometimes coaches, coaches at the very top level, like take myself, if I came in and Andy said, Dan, can you coach me for a few weeks? I'd be like, wow, what an unbelievable job. And, and I, I, it would be difficult, one, because I don't have the playing career background, but two, because that job means so much to me. But Lendl almost came in and went, well, screw you, Andy. I don't need this job. If you want to listen to me, listen to me. And it, yeah. and it kind of, it almost like flipped. 
it flipped the, 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 the way that it works because there is a lot of player power in, in tennis. And it was like, look, I have these two or three points. You know, I know that they talked about the Djokovic drills. And it was like, let's do everything to beat Djokovic. You have to play a higher tempo. You have to play a higher territory. Otherwise, you ain't beating Djokovic. And if you ain't beating Djokovic, you ain't winning Grand Slams. <laughs> you know, and there was kind of no, there was no choice to do it. it there's so many, honestly, Emilio, for me, this is like a, it's a fascinating conversation. And I'm, I'm conscious of your time and the things that I also want to speak to you on. I have about 28 questions in my head just from what you said. And that's just, that's just from what you said in the last 20 minutes. <laughs> However, in terms of the importance of coaches, so we've talked about the system uh, in, in, in that naturally has to happen in tennis and tennis academies. The coaches and the players are the real people that make that happen. You know, the, you know being able, the coaches to really bring the detail of the drills out, the details of how you work with players and obviously the players' engagement. How do you quality monitor that? Now, now that you've got, and I'm looking behind you, there's so many courts to be mm -hmm. able to get that quality of player and know that they are, because I, somebody could do a drill and not really do the drill. And you could do the drill and absolutely do the drill. So mm -hmm. how, how, how are you able to bring that across such a large scope? Well, obviously, it's it's um, it's it's like 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 when you when you play, no? It's how much demand you put to what you do, no? So so the, I believe that that the system is important, but the people who believe in the system is as important. And 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 and, and I'm so lucky to have a lot of people who has embrace uh, the the system but they had such a big heart towards um, using the system to show the best of themselves as coaches and to make a, an impact on these young kids that that uh, they want to use tennis as a vehicle to develop themselves so so and um, um, I had like amazing 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 people around and and even students for example that that um, we have now maybe six or seven ex-coaches but the, those ex-coaches some of them they were ex-players so so they started to embrace the system as players and then they they didn't want to study they, they came to study to be a coach and then they are on the tour like Danny Valverdu and and Martinez and Puentes. So a lot of the coaches that they are there now on the tour with the best players, they came through the system. So the the, uh, the system for us in, in Sanchez Casal is, is not, we are not only forming great players uh, through tennis, but I think that we, we form great people through tennis to, 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 to express themselves and, 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 to, and to show the same thing with their best version. So, so because when you take three coaches or four coaches from my staff, they all say the same thing with their with their touch, and 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 um, and um, because I believe that the, that the right coach is is it has to be a master of how to empathize with the with the student. So, but the same that that you empathize with the student, you need to empathize with the coaches. 
So the closer you are to the coaches, it's, like a, it's also like a player. So, and how you become really good coach is when you have this voice that you are able to convince. How you can convince? You can, have, you can convince with a very determined and sweet voice or a very humble voice or a very low voice where you want to convince the player with arguments and with drills and with, with, with whatever you are working on. But at some moments, the player is going to test you. So, and, and you have to have that range of voice that you have to be on your place at the right moment. Because if at the moment that the player test, is testing you and you are not in your place, and then you're losing the empathy with a player, then he's going to try to look for someone that, that really puts him in place. So yes. it's, it's, it has to be very balanced. And I was very lucky to have incredible people around during 20 years of, of, of the academy and um, that Sanchez Casal is not Sanchez Casal because of Emilio Sanchez or Sergio Casal. He's there because we had so many big group of professionals that they give their heart to Sanchez Casal. And, and we are what we are thanks to. Of course we were there. Of course we were always there. And Sergio is on the court and I am on the court. And, I'm, and we are teaching and we are teaching the coaches and we are behind them and we support them. But those people, they have been amazing for our organization and we are where we are thanks to all those people. Some they are still today there, some they are they're doing their own academy or they, they are on the tour or whatever, but we are what we are thanks to what those people brought in. Yeah. Uh, because at the, at the end, coaching is giving service, so you cannot pretend to do everything because you are not God. So, so you need, really need you really need to have the people that is closer to you, that is thinking like you, that that even is better than you, okay? And they and they and they are capable of at some moment coach you as well. You need to keep learning. Yeah. So if because you need to be close to to people that is better than you, and then you keep growing. Yeah. Pato Alvarez, how influential was he? In, in what's happened in, in, in your academy and also in Spanish tennis the last 20, 30 years? Well, Pato Alvarez was, was, was so important because he, he, he arrived to Spain and uh, he was already, uh, he's from Colombia, but he was a player and he was traveling on the tour. And he was influenced a lot. He, at the time when he arrived to Spain, he used to coach Nastase and Higueras and some people. The time with Higueras and uh, he, he got the opportunity to, to jump with the juniors from the federation. And, that, and I was a bit younger, but I, Sergio was in the, that group of players that they started to play with him. And uh, he revolutionized the type of training because he was the one bringing in the, the drills, the, yeah. famous, the famous baskets, you know, the cubos, the Spanish yeah. cubos. So he was coming in with this, with this um, soap, you know, the, the, the dash and the skip and, you know, those, those, those yeah. uh, washing uh, baskets yeah, yeah. full of balls. And he will come with those, you know, to the court and say, what do you do? What, what to do the laundry? No, no, no. <laughs> I'm going to play. I'm going to play. Let's play. So, and every, every basket of, of soap, he'll do one exercise. So uh, whatever it was, in, out, or uh, left, right, or whatever it was, you know, like, so, and, and he started to call those the cubos because that's, that's the word for Spanish for the basket of salt, yeah. of, yeah. of detergent or whatever to, 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 to do the laundry. So, and, and he was uh, at the time uh, giving lessons to the coaches from the Federation. 
So to, he started to give this mentality about showing others how to train with these cubos. And, and, um, and um, it was very interesting because he created this, like, this culture of, of, of training that way. And then you, 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 on top of that, you do the controls and you do the, the, the static and the movement and then the, the, the match play and everything. But the cubos was like the center of the practice. And um, and since then, still today, most of the most of the people they, they they still do. If you look on online, you see Nadal everybody doing cubos like a part of their training. So, and but I think that the the biggest success from him is that when he took Sergio and me and this group, we created what I believe it was like um, the 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 type of 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 player that is dedicated to tennis so he's yeah. living for tennis so we were super professionals we will train twice a day so so we create that everything we were doing was to perform and yeah. and i think most of the spanish players in one difference they make is this type of a school of becoming a tennis player and what it means you can yeah. play tennis and and, and and have fun but the, the the spanish player normally wins because physically is stronger and that thanks a lot to the Kubos because he moves more than the other ones and, and he trains better or some quality things. So he does better footwork, but on top of that, mentally is stronger because of this environment that he yeah. does everything for tennis and yeah. he trains more and he finishes the match and goes train and he goes to clean the game and he goes to serve. Yeah. So, and, and, and you see Bautista, he's a, 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 like the perfect example. He just beat yeah. tennis or Carreño. Carreño is, is like a super, the super professional. Ramos, you take it, no? And I think that those guys, and, and, the, and, and the, the, at the end, they never saw Pato. But, mm -hmm. but Pato created that way of, of being professional. Yes. And, 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 that, and, and, and that generation after generation become better and better and better because they had better techniques and better, yeah. probably better coaches as well. And they, they, maximize the, the performance, but the, the way to do it, that's what I think he brought to Spain yeah. and, and the Spanish tennis should be thankful for him to do that. Yeah, because that's my, my thing. It's obviously there's, there's a drills, but when I think of Spanish tennis, I think of fighters, I think of physicality, I think of living exactly what you say in living tennis, of there, don't go away, you know, look, looking for the forehand, playing with they shit, playing with shit. They don't give away one point. And no, they stop, nothing. And they grind and there and this yeah. and that. Yeah. 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 But and, you... and even, for, even for players who look the players that they are not Spanish, mm -hmm. but they grow in Spain. Like the, yeah. yesterday, the Minaur was playing. Mm -hmm. That guy is a rock. That guy is, 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 is like a gladiator. He's like this small, but you can see that he goes behind the ball. He, or, or Andy, or you know, the people who develop those years here. And, 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 and they learn to live for this, they are, they are tougher. They are, yeah. they are, you know, like they are more grinders than the other ones. Yeah. And I also, what I also see, Emilio, is groups, groups traveling. So, you know, academies going together, you know, you see, you see a big group of eight, nine, ten players, all, all kind of fighting together. Now, traditionally, that works maybe better with male players, you know, camaraderie, push each other. Do you think that's one of the reasons why maybe, not that the Spanish 
women haven't been successful, but they haven't been as successful as the male players. Well, uh, with the with the resources that that um, they are dedicated in the in the schools, in the tennis schools, and in the places with the all the Spanish mentality, eh, the the. Um, the demand that you need to make the steps for high performance uh, on the girls, they are tougher. It is more difficult. They are tougher in, the, in those years, 14, 15, 16, the girl is much more mature and the demand is higher and the resources are lower and the coaches are worse and, uh, and the courts are worse and, and, and they divide the things that first three courts in a club, the best three courts are wise boys. The girls back there on the fence. So, you know, that the socially um, the, the resources and the, and the opportunities for the girls, they have been lower, but even that way, I think many girls, they created this pathway to be able to make it. And we've we, we done pretty well for what we, Spain dedicate to women's tennis. Okay. So, so because we had these two, two exceptional players, my sister and Conchita, that in some way they, they exposed uh, women's tennis at the time. And then it was, there has been always five to 10 players in the top 100, which is pretty good compared to other countries. Yeah. And not having the same number of tournaments, not having the same number of, of small tournaments, also, and, 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 and not having the same resources yeah. in, 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 naturally. No? Yeah. But uh, I think that, that um, what you were saying about the camaraderie and so is, is part of what I was saying. So if you play a match and, and you are alone and then after you debrief with your coach, um, okay, you can learn because you make a mistake and then you can work on it, come out from the comfort zone and improve it. But the best way to improve, the, the memories that I had, the things that I learned the most, they has been always sitting next to my coach or to, or, or, or to people that was coming with my coach or friends or something and, and, uh, and, um, and they talk about it when you are outside from the court. Because when you are outside from the court, it's much easier to, to listen yeah. that when you are on the court that you have the, the, the emotions and everything. For example, the first couple of years I went to London, the second year in, in Wimbledon, I, I, first year I lost to Harmon. I was already 20 in the world and I couldn't play on grass. And, and, and um, my, I, my coach took me to talk to Motram, to Buster Motram. Right. He brought him to watch me. Yeah, yeah. And then, because he was not able to convince me to come in, and then I will not be able to risk to come in. Yeah. So, but then, um, and then Motram, I remember the conversation and uh, the first thing he tells me is say, Hey, you, you have to keep working in the volley. Yeah. And I said, yeah. And he said, don't, don't, don't expect that you're going to be a natural volleyer because you don't have that skill. Yeah. But if you go well to the net, yeah. you don't need to be a natural volleyer to win the volleys. And then I start to look at him like this. And they never explained to me something like that. Yeah, yeah. So what was important is the way I go to the volley to don't have to volley at the end. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, like it's like Sampras, he was hitting that huge forehand and then he was going to the volley and finished the volley like this. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the people say, oh, incredible volley. Yeah, but how many emergency volleys he played in the match? Two. Yeah. Maybe he put one, yeah, but yeah. the normal ones is half as much, putting yeah. it to the sides. 
Nadal, Nadal, Nadal's the great example of that. Yeah, Nadal, every year, every year, Nadal wins wins the highest percentage of points at the net on the on the men's tour. Uh, but people yeah, don't think of Rafael Nadal as the volleyer, but it's what he does before. But but he's the number one on having the initiative and how to open the court. Yeah. And he follows very well the ball to that. So then yeah. how he has to volley? Very Absolutely. easy. Yeah. So so you know like and, and that's that I think that's key that that yeah. many times you have to have your ears very open because there's gonna be one person who is gonna come in and tell you something yeah. that is gonna change completely yeah. your mindset on yeah. things that you are not capable of doing by yourself, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, and, and, and I think that is the, being together yeah. and, and watching matches together and talking in the locker room and play. So you learn a lot yeah, yeah. from the other ones and you're competing there as well. So this rivalry that is healthy because there are some guys that you don't like at all, but, but you train with them anyway and so on. So at the end makes you be longer there and, and, and wanted more. Yeah. And talking about having your ears open, how was it coaching your sister? Were her ears always open when you did that? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a challenge because I didn't have a clue what to do because I was just finishing play. Yeah. And, um, and she, 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 was, she was in a very difficult moment. Yeah. But I always had this, this she, you know, I'm almost eight years older than her, so she was always uh, believing a lot in whatever I say. And that's also very important because maybe you say with a coach, maybe you say things that they, they, they don't come to the moment, but, but, um, but if the player believes on that, he's going to take out the best from it anyway. And, and, and I think that it was a challenging moment where, where she was working very hard and not winning, but then suddenly after some time, she started to do better and, and she was able to, to in, in, in that second phase of her career, she was able to play much more inside the court, arrive more to volleys, and, and uh, find a way that to compete even indoors and, and, and beat the best players also in surfaces that she never yeah. beat them before. Yeah. And uh, I think that if you will ask her, I think that that, that time of her, her, her tennis, it, it was, was very, very, she has a good, in some way, good memory. So for me as, 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 a, as a coach was, yeah. was uh, very rewarding good and, and how and how is she doing now we don't see so much of her you know is she still involved in tennis well she's been she has two kids and she's been away from tennis for a while yeah. and uh but now she's she's uh, trying to come back and uh, she's coming this summer she came here in the academy in naples for some weeks and she's doing some uh, some um, we're doing some specific groups with girls to try yeah. to motivate them and um, she's trying to get back. She's been doing some seminars and some some comfort. Now we do in a couple of weeks. We do a, a seminar together in the World Conference in the USPTA, nice. and um, and she's trying to go back um, through through to 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 the industry and to the world that that she knows. And I'm I'm very excited that that, that she's gonna bring that aspect of of, of the player like. Like she's been number one at the time of Graf and Celes, which maybe apart from Serena, there they, they, they was the toughest moment of, of women's tennis. Absolutely. And she managed to beat them practically without game. <laughs> yeah. eh? So, so see, that's, a, that's an incredible story. And I think that she needs to tell that story and she needs to show how, <clears throat> what are the things that she did 
to the new generations yeah. be able to to see if they, she can she can print that on those new yeah. girls and we have some some um, very gifted girls here in Naples that they are some of the best in their in the 14s 15s here right. in the US and uh, hopefully they they learn from her no even if they see her or they see me uh, the old man no but, yeah, but yeah. and and she's she she already um she has a now i think 47 so so they see her as a as a old lady but i think that she can she can put them on their on their essence i think yeah. they they will have big advantage and probably also her having a bit of time out of the sport to reflect is mm. is a positive as well you know i think we can we can all be in this bubble of tennis, you know, coming from yeah. a different, having different outlooks, becoming a mum, having a couple of kids, yeah. seeing them grow up, understanding how difficult they are. I know all about that, you know, and, and, and <laughs> you know, changes the outlook. So we need to, we need to, you need to help us get her on the podcast as well. She would be someone. Yes, no problem. We will, we will do something. Yeah. We would love <laughs> to talk. My last couple of questions. Going back to the academy, and I guess this, there's a lot of coaches listening to these podcasts, um, and, and I think one of the challenges people have around the world is how, how you balance making a business work whilst still looking to develop genuine world-class tennis players and obviously mm -hmm. world-class people as well. How, how have you been able to get that balance right, and what have some of the challenges been for you in that? Well, um, you know, like, first of all, you have to accept and, and your people has to accept that developing a player is, is, is a, is a, is a um, lifetime almost investment. Yeah. And because if, if, let's say, for example, I started to work in the academy when I was 35, no? So 35. And, and um, normally, if you take a player, like, let's say, uh, when we started, most of the players were coming, they had like 13, 14, and then by the time by, that they make the jump, maybe they are 18, 19, 20. So, so that, that's a five, six, seven years gap until they start to do some results. But as the time went by, the, the, the people looking for academies start to be younger. So then uh, 12s and then 10s. And then now, so, so now, for example, in Barcelona, we are uh, starting the academy eh, with, uh, with, with uh, all the pathway on, on the, of, in the initiation pyramid in elementary. So, so the people come at, at five, six years old because they want, to do the, the, they want to do the school because we have a great school that we put them in any university in the world. And then, but at the same time, you go the first couple of years, you play two hours and then you do... Um, you do gym and then you do so so the first years you, you start to build up the the, the 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 athlete and then you start to be more specific on the on the sport but you cannot go and six years old and play three hours of tennis because then you're going to burn them completely yeah. so you need to go step by step but yes the, the people comes comes earlier yeah, yeah. and what that means that if if i get if you have your kid and you send it to me at five years old he will be a pro if he happens to be one of the touch ones by God at 20 or 22. So it's almost 17 or 15 to 20 years. Yeah. So if I am the coach and your kid is gifted, I get completely involved with your kid. 
And so I'm not, I was 35, and then I'm now at 55, he will be pro. <laughs> okay, but imagine that at the 18, and then Emilio is not good enough, and then you decide to send him to whatever, uh, another place, or another, or take a private coach, or, or get the coach from the Davis Cup, or whatever, you know? And then, and then I make the work 15 years, and then, and then now he will be a pro with another coach. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So our, our life, in that sense is, is tough. And so that I always tell my coaches, so if you want to dedicate your life to a player, you really have to be convinced that you're gonna have to dedicate eight to 10 years to that player. And then maybe you can continue after if you create that empathy, but when the money arrives and the agents and everybody, they're gonna try to take it away from you. So you better create a lot of empathy because if not, <laughs> you're gonna be history, okay? Or you go back and start again. So yeah. that, that's why they, we, I have coaches that they are really good on the first six years. So they go six years and then they start again. Yeah. And then they always stay from six to 12. And then I have other coaches, they go 12 to 15. And yeah. then they start on that process there. Yeah. Right? But at the moment that you have that, pro, that, pro, that, that coach that goes from 12 to 20 or so, yeah. and then when he finishes, where do you put him again? Yeah, you know? yeah. Or he's going to go to again to the ones 18 and, uh, or 17, you know? Yeah. So, it's very important that the coach knows knows where he wants to be, yeah. and 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 where he wants to be the best the best yeah. that he that yeah. he can be, no. Yeah. And uh, so and if we see it as the part of the business, how you manage to run an academy, okay? So you need enough kids, okay, on the different stages with a good level to be able to be covering the different stages because if one stage is not covered and then the two next ones they go down <laughs> mm -hmm. so um and what happened with the academies is that the, normally the people that have the the capacity will take the best coach in each of the phases yeah. to try to develop the player and and try to do it uh, private or, or try to take a coach for me Okay, but then the coach finds the players and does everything around it. So, but the people want to go to an academy because they don't want to pay a private coach. Mm -hmm. So let's say if a private coach, coach costs, I don't know, five, six, ten thousand or whatever a month, yeah. they want to go to an academy, pay the most expensive ones, maybe 2,500, yeah. and then the cheapest one, 1,000, and they pay 1,000 a month to be in a small group. Yeah. And then they want to have the treatment of the private coach. Yes. So where is the success from the academy? Is that you or me and all my coaches, which whatever players we have, is that that player feels that has a coach. Yeah, yeah. And to feel that, you need the empathy. Yeah, yeah. You need the care. You need the explanation. You need to be there when, 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 when you cannot be there because you have to be with your family or you have to be with here, you have to yeah. go there. So that's why it's so difficult the balance for the academies yeah. to keep going all the time and have that, that yeah. loyalty eh, through time yeah. eh, and, and, and have that patience because most of the people eh, in tennis, they are very impatient. Yeah. So and, and, and impatient in a job that you need to be thinking in 10 to 15 to 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. Patience is not a good friend. <laughs> no, no, not at all. No, but no, sorry. Patience should be a good friend, but there is not much patience. Yeah, yeah. So the people wants the results today, <clears throat> yeah. and that doesn't happen because yeah. you need to create the, the the habits in every phase. You need time. Yeah. 
And, and you need the, that connection with the company. Yeah. And in the modern world, instant gratification as is the new thing. You know, if I, if my children want to watch a movie, they put Netflix on. If my children want to eat a eat a donut, uh, they can go to wherever it might be. You know, and uh, uh, without going on too much, I just even I thought I'm 40 years old. I remember playing at the ITF Futures tournaments, ATP Challenger tournaments. If I wanted to watch a movie, I had to wait until you know maybe I I could get a DVD of somebody from somewhere or wait until it came out in the cinema. It's a it's a very different mindset now, and and, and all of that. Challenges. Yeah, you, are, you are young. Yeah, <laughs> if I well, tell you how yeah. I watch a movie in, in black and white with yeah. one channel on the TV. <laughs> but that creates patience, you know, and I think, yeah. I think you yeah. know, the generations. What's, what's the future for you? Well, for me, it's, it's, um, tennis is my life and, and I am where I am thanks to tennis and and I am involved in, 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 in these big projects and, and um, we have some, uh, some amazing players that, that, they, that they can, they can uh, write their own stories either on, the, on, on competing but I also as human beings. So, so the last year and a half uh, we had this student uh, that, uh, that he is becoming an a environmentalist guru and uh, he's doing incredible things. Uh, he has won a project in New York and he's from Indonesia and he, he cleaned two rivers over there. So, so and, and he's, he, he's running and he's convincing people to become green and, and uh, his, name, his name is Sam. And, 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 and he does what he does with the mindset of a player. So for me, if, if, if we can impact on these players, on these kids, to be able that through tennis, they can change the world and, and become the best that they can become for me is, is a huge legacy because it's, it's not easy because we have a lot of issues. You have an academy, so you know that the difficulties with the parents, with the sons, with the this, with that. But we write some amazing stories and for me that's, that's fulfilling and, and, and uh, if, if COVID allows, allows us to continue, yeah. <laughs> because that's another rival, <laughs> but, um, but if, 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 if it's possible, I, 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 I'm gonna continue doing this because it's what I like and, and uh, I will try to adapt to the modern times and with the new technologies to be able to impact the people another way and, and to keep creating a school to improve our tennis and improve our industry. I think that that's, that's a must from the people that we were lucky like me and, and, um, and um, since I moved here to the US, my kids are playing and they, they going they're going through the story from the academy and now I have one, one daughter in, in college. So, so there is not a better way to suggest to do something if you do it yourself or, you, or, or, or your kids do it. Yeah, yeah. You know, my, my boy is, is 15, 16 now and he's through the challenge of, of, of he plays well, nicely and so mm -hmm. to the challenge of being a, 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 a competitor man. Yeah, yeah. And so, so, so I cannot, you know, on top of 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 um, of whatever I I can sell because this is a, at the end we want to sell for the people to come, you know when you when your kids are doing that and and they are taking advantage from that experience and leaving a legacy through what you're doing is is it becomes more powerful independently if you 
do well or you do really bad like now, no? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, but we have to keep going. I think that, that um, tennis is, is amazing and, and uh, it's, it's, it's a life, life learning tool eh, to, 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 to show the best from you and, and I will always defend tennis because it has given me everything that I am. Emilio, we're going to have to do a part two because I've got so many things I want to speak to you about. But I have to take you to the quick fire round, which is tradition at the, at the podcast. So first question, are you ready? Yeah. College tennis or pro tennis at age 18? <laughs> well, they are both a dream. Yeah. Because the people think that college tennis is easy and the spots that they are, the good spots that are available with the good teams and the good coaches, they are as limited as the pros. Yeah, I agree. I, w I went through college myself uh, at Louisiana State University many years ago and it was incredible. And I feel mm. very honored, privileged to, to have gone through it. Clay courts or hard courts? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I have, I have to go. Can I have, have to go to clay. <laughs> yeah, we, we need serve or return. Uh, serve. Injury timeout for players or not during the match? Should players be allowed to have the physio coming on court during the match or not? Um. I don't know. No. <laughs> That's what a lot of people are saying. That's why the question's in. A lot of people aren't happy with how the players are, are using the physio for strategic ways. Yeah. Basket drills or points? I have to use one or the other? <laughs> yeah, one or the other. <laughs> uh, basket drills. <laughs> and one rule that you would change in tennis? One rule. Uh, I don't know. Um, I think I, maybe if I will take away some rules. <laughs> we are for too many rules. <laughs> I, I like it. And I have to ask Emilio because it's how we've been connected together. The, between the, the White Line Summit that's coming up at the, at the end of September, can you give us a little tease into what you'll be speaking to at the summit? Yeah, I'm very excited eh, because I'm going to be able to speak about something that I always defend on my seminars and when I talk to the, to the people from the, from the different federations or, or the different um, groups of, 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 of power, let's say, in our industry. Because eh, I believe a lot on the, on the, on the clubs. Okay, we, in Spain, we don't have a big infrastructure with the Federation, we don't have a lot of resources and so, but we had through, through the time after, after um, when we started the democracy 40 years ago, was the boom of the tennis at the time that they, they, they built all these tennis clubs. And, 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 um, and I think that has been the biggest success on the, from Spanish tennis is because these tennis clubs, they are they are engines for the tennis because they do tennis school 
and they do social maybe, but they all do competition school. So they're like in some way some small academies. And even the clubs, because in Spain they are not so well paid, the tennis lessons and so in some areas, they, they, the clubs, the, the, the board of the clubs, they let these, these, these coaches from these tennis schools travel with the students, like, like if they were coaches from, from, from pros. And they are able to do what you were saying. They, let's go to the Nike here. Let's go to the Rafa this. Let's go to the Sanchez Casal here, play this tournament. And there are like 50, 60 groups of competition, what they call groups of competition, that they go around playing these tournaments. And they learn from each other. They create rivalries. The clubs, they have the flag. They play for the yellow. They play against the red. And you are yellow. You are not red. So you don't change. So you belong to that place with that coach. And it stays for a while. To change from club to club is a challenge because you need to ask permission and formation rights and so. So I I, I really um, defend the, the 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 club spirit and the club essence. Eh? And to since we as a family spend so much time in the club yeah. and was so good for us. I think that, that uh, for example, here in the US, we tried, we have this big facility, 38 cores. We try to print that and we tell the people who come to the after school program, no, stay to play some after. Come in the weekend to play some matches. Come in the weekend to play hide and seek. Yeah, yeah. But the people don't come to play hide and seek. Oh, really? Yeah. So, so the, there is not this atmosphere and this culture of being in the club. And I think that play hide and seek or play soccer or play basketball or play swimming or whatever it is in the club is as important to develop a kid as to play the time and the hour with me. And because you need to survive, you need to play, you need to fight, you need to, you know, between the kids. And, and uh, in, today, in today's world with all this technology and all these phones and everything, you have already enough time by yourself alone looking at things that they are all nice. And so you don't spend time on the road, don't spend time playing, don't spend time on, on the club. Where are you going to learn to survive? Yeah, yeah. With the phone? Yeah. Watching only perfect things or, or yeah. playing games? So I think that, that, um, that um, the, 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 the model that we have in some countries with the clubs, I think it's, 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 it's not only good for the kids to be there and learn to survive and, and become better fighters and, and, and athletes, it's, 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 it's a way to develop themselves much better. And you see it very clear here in the US, for example, the kids, they cannot challenge the calls. So you cannot go to the other side. The umpire don't let you point the mark from the other guy. So if the ball comes to my side, I say out, the ball is out. So. And that's an example of how a player is not going to learn how to fight for a ball. Yeah, yeah. So what happens? Then they go to ITFs and the kids who were grown here, and then they, they make them a bad call or, or the other one makes a bad call and they don't know how to go there and fight with the umpire. No, this, this is their mark, this is this. They don't know how to say it. So it's not a problem because it's no problem to lose a ball, okay? It's no problem to lose a match. But it's very important to fight for your rights. Yeah. And, and, and when you are close to a very small environment, you become small. If you want to become a, a, a winner, you need to be exposed to winners and you need to learn how to fight for balls, discuss the point, 
talk to the other, you know, with respect, but you need to learn to do that. That's why in the ITFs, all the, all the discussions with the balls, the Europeans win. Mm. All of them. Yeah. <laughs> because they are much more, they are more used to do that, you know, because they, they, they survive more. They are more grinders, they are more survivors. And, and, and you can call that, uh, they, they, sometimes they, uh, they say, no, they cheat. And no, no, that's not cheating. Cheating is when you take a ball away and you call a ball like here that is completely in, but because you have the right to call it out, you call it in. Yes. But if the ball is out and then you call it out and the umpire says it's good, that guy, what he knows is to convince that umpire or, the, or that other boy that that ball was out. And it's a big difference. Yeah, yeah. That's not cheating. That's absolutely. looking for your rights. Yeah. <laughs> I absolutely love it. I, I, I completely agree with exactly what you're saying. I've loved the chat, Emilio. Genuinely, I could chat with you for hours. It's been it's been an absolute pleasure, and I'm sure everyone's going to love listening. So, but a big, big thank you, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. A massive thank you to Emilio Sanchez. Love talking to you, Emilio, and I'm going to be on to you about getting a rancher onto the show as well. Again, a big thank you to everyone that's listening, everyone that's supporting the podcast for all of your likes, your comments, your challenges, your ratings, your reviews. We haven't had one of those for a while, guys. It takes you one minute. If you can do it, it really helps the podcast. Our motivation remains strong to continue bringing you all of these fantastic guests. And we'll be back with you next week with more But until then, I'm Dan Kiernan, my co-host is John McGann, we are Control the Controllables.